We are so glad that you are here with us. Uh, go ahead and turn with your, with your, in your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. We're going to be looking in James and also in some of the Psalms today, okay? And so we are in our series, second week of our series called All the World's a Stage. What we're talking about in this series is we are getting honest about our dishonesty. We all can be dishonest about things in our lives. We all have dark corners. We all have things that maybe we want to hide and we want to be sure that we get free from from these things right here, from masks in our lives, right? Okay, now I just got to tell you, hey, can I, can I ask, is this creepy? Is it creepy for me to wear this? I heard a rumor going around this week that some of you were out there saying, man, that mask is creepy. He shouldn't be wearing that mask, okay? Well, when I went to, to get this mask, okay, I worked really hard to get the least creepy one that I could, okay? All right, so first I tried on this one here. I tried this one on, okay? Sorry for the kids. Take that one off. Take that one off. Okay. Uh, and then, and Hope was with me and she was helping me. All right. Then I tried this one on. All right. I tried this one. Do we have the next one there? Is it up yet? There we go. Okay. <laughs> Hope said something like, that's you five years ago. I'm like, that's wrong. Okay. All right. That was rough. Okay. So yeah, that, ma- that matched in pretty well. And so um, you know, and so I thought this was probably the best of all of these. And, and, you know, but some of you, you were complaining about it. You were complaining about the mask. And so I thought maybe this one will make you happy. Okay. Is this one better? Everybody feel better? I'm sorry to creep you out. Okay. Here's the bottom line. Even this one, truthfully, is kind of creepy, right? Is it still kind of creepy? Bottom line is this. Masks are creepy. They creep people out when you're fake, right? And so it's really kind of, you gave me a good illustration. Thank you. You know, it's really kind of just, this one's going to have to go, all right? It's just kind of, you know, when you think about masks and you think about hiding things and you think about concealing and trying to put on image, you know, these are the kinds of things really that it does creep people out. It creeps people out whenever you're not real. Whenever you're trying to put on an image, whenever you're trying to act a certain way, and that's why we're in this series, we want to be real. We want to be real. It doesn't mean, I love in the video where it says, it doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not perfect. We've not arrived. We have a long ways to go. God's still working in our lives. And, and, and you know, but, but we want to be sure that we are, we are doing our best to be real to be authentic. I shared with you last week, we have so many new folks in our church. We want you to know this core value that we have of authenticity. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we want to be real. We want to be transparent. Do you know why we have that core value? It's because Jesus has that core value. We want to be like that. We want to be like Christ and that that is valuable to us, you know, and and so let's dig in more to this today. We want to know about being free of some of these things in our lives, how to do that, what that looks like and how God blesses that. So I'm going to have to first just start off with a confession, okay? I'm going to confess this to you. It was a faithful day on a beautiful Saturday morning in Brownwood, Texas, about 20 something years ago, whenever I was still in college and it was a Saturday morning. Fall morning, just like this morning, just kind of crisp morning outside, Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, I was an HPU student there studying to be a pastor, studying to go into the ministry, trying to learn what that looks like. And, and you know, and I want to be a godly man and, and learning how to do these kinds of things, you know, and ministering to people. And, and there were probably in that room where I was at on that, on that Saturday morning, there were probably about 30 or so people in there. We were all kinds of different folks. It was an incredibly diverse group of people on that morning. 
We had, uh, there were both men and women in there. It was a multiracial group. Uh, There were, uh, you know, uh, young folks that were there. There were older people that were there. I looked over. I saw one of my professors in the school that was there, and he was embarrassed, you know, to be in that same place that I was at on that particular morning. I met a lady that was a school teacher. One of the persons that I was there with, I knew who also was working in the bank where I was working. He was there. You see, when you're in Brownwood, it's a small town and everyone kind of knows everybody's business. Anybody lived in a place like that? Everybody kind of knows everyone's business. And the one thing, we were very different, but the one thing we all had in common, we were all confessed lawbreakers. We were a bunch of outlaws, I'm telling you right now. We were outlaws together in a room. We had all had that encounter with a police officer who had handed us a slip of paper to remind us that we were lawbreakers. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about in here this morning, all right? Have you experienced this? We were in defensive driving school together. Some of you were worried, weren't you? We were in defensive driving school together. Anybody know about that? Okay, all right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, this is the last place I wanted to be on a Saturday morning. That's the last thing I wanted to be doing. I would love to have slept in that morning or been doing something else on this gorgeous fall morning. And, uh, but we were talking about safety and driving on this day. It actually wasn't, you know, as bad, though, as I thought it would be. I didn't really want to be there. But you know what I discovered while I was there? We had some deep fellowship. As the day went on, fellowship just got deeper. And, and friendships were struck up. And, you know, and I got to tell you, it was because of the honesty that we all had there on that day. We all had an honest you know, assessment of ourselves. We were all there, self-confessed kind of lawbreakers. And we went around the room and kind of shared our names and what we were there for. And I was like, hi, my name is Bart. Everyone went, hi, Bart. You know, (laughs) I was doing uh, 76 and a 55. Don't judge me, okay? And, uh, sorry, mom and dad, they're in the back there. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's what I was doing. Others were like, hi, I'm Joan. I made an illegal U-turn. Hi, I'm Charlie. And I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I can't tell you what I did, you know, or whatever. Um, and I'm Dr. So-and-so and I was going too fast in a school zone. We confessed. We all wept together on that morning. We got it all out in the open. I began using my mad new pastor skills I was learning of comforting the afflicted. I was coming alongside these people, but I got to tell you, there was honesty in that room. There was honesty. Maybe it was forced honesty, but it was honesty. And, I, and, I, and you know, I don't want to do that again, but again, the honesty in the room was great. There were no false pretenses. We all kind of knew something this. We didn't have to put on this charade of of any sort, you know. We were all, uh, you know, uh, we didn't have to put on this act like we're all good drivers. We all knew that we had a little lead foot, all right. We acknowledged we had problems. In fact, you couldn't be there unless you acknowledged that you had a problem, that you had something that was wrong, that you'd done something wrong, and The admission or the confession that came with it, it kind of brought a sense of relief 
All right. Maybe some of it was because you were going to get it off your record. Okay. And, but it also, you know what it brought? It brought a sense of community. There was community that happened in the room because we all realized that we had a struggle. And now, even though I'm kind of joking, I'm joking about my, my uh, driving record and to some extent, but I want you to know something today, okay? Do you realize that there is something that is truly, truly powerful and can be life-changing whenever you and I realize this, that we actually can come clean with God, take this thing off, and come clean with each other. And just say, you know what? This, this is, I've got some struggles in my life. I, I have some flaws in my life that I'm working on. Chances are there's somebody sitting next to you or across the aisle or in front of you or behind you. Can I tell you this right now? More than likely, they're going through some of the exact same things. I mean, we've said it this way before around here is that, is that life is always kind of like storms, right? And you've got a storm off that you've either come out of, there's a storm that's on the horizon, or some of you are right in the middle of a storm right now, okay? Which would tell me this, that one out of three of you right now is in the middle of a devastating storm. You're going through something that's very, very challenging and difficult. And so a lot of times we feel like, you know, we can't let our guard down. We don't want to let others in. We don't want people to know what's going on with us. You know, but there's, there's, there's peace that comes with, with being real. There's peace that comes with confession. There's peace with coming clean more than anything with, with confession with God and getting real with God about where you actually are. And in the book of James, James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this to a letter that he wrote to this group of people. Interestingly enough, this passage was also in the context of prayer. I told you last week one of the things that I've been discovering that's fascinating as we've studied prayer so much in our last series is that everywhere I'm looking and reading about prayer, you'll find sandwiched in that context somewhere there's something about authenticity. Somewhere there's something about hypocrisy. There's something about being real and how we can try to even pretend in those kinds of ways. And so, and so that is the case even in this passage in James chapter 5, verse 16. It's a powerful verse, and this is what it says. In fact, I'm going to invite you to read it with me out loud, okay? Let's say it together, church. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. All right, so he says, confess to each other. Confess this to one another, you know, be real with one another. What is he saying? And, and honestly, what he's talking about is there's a sense of community that happens when you're open, whenever you kind of are willing to take the mask off and get real. But notice that prayer is also sandwiched in there. It's also in that context. James is giving some of the most practical advice for these first century Christians. He's talking to these first century believers. Think about it. James, if you don't know this, was the actual, as many scholars believe, it was the first New Testament book that was written. It's the oldest of all of the New Testament books. And, and James is giving some of the first instructions to followers of Jesus Christ. And, and, and what's interesting is, is, you know, about how they're supposed to do life together, how they're supposed to live, what church is actually supposed to look like and be about. So the original admonition contains nothing about singing together. It contains nothing about preaching. That would come a little later in some of the other, you know, scriptures that instruct us on what's to happen in church. 
But, but in this context, it's a word about prayer. There's a word to those who are sick to call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over them and, and, and to be a part of their life as they go through that journey. But there's a word to all of us, all of us, whether we're sick or not, okay, to, to confess with one another. It's not the seeking of forgiveness that you're, that you're going after. It's, it's community that he's seeking to build. He's wanting to build community. He's wanting the church to be real with each other, okay? He's wanting uh, to, to take down the walls that you have to have it all together before you come to Jesus. That's not the case. He's saying, no, let's show people that, that we are real people too with real struggles. And, and so, uh, you know, it's interesting whenever you think about this word confession, he says, confess to one another. When we say the word confession, what images come to your mind? They're probably not very positive ones. Whenever I first hear the word confession, all right, uh, I'll confess this to you. A lot of times in the evening when I have trouble going to sleep, there's something that puts me right out. It is uh, watching or beginning to watch an episode of Law and Order, okay? As soon as I hear, bump, bump, I'm out, okay? Whenever I hear that, that helps me. I don't know. I mean, you could probably play that now, and I may just go into narcolepsy at this point, okay? It kind of knocks me out. And, uh, and, and so whenever I think of confession, I think of a couple of detectives that have a, a, a person who's in trouble in that back room and they're trying to play mind games with them and mess them up and catch them in a trap. And you know what I mean? That's kind of what we think of. Some of you, your religious background, maybe when you hear the word confession, you think of going into a booth. You think of kind of bearing your soul through a curtain or a veil to somebody that's maybe in a church hierarchy that you're almost seeking absolution on from that person, okay? Like they are the ones that can bring that for you. You realize you can go straight to Jesus, right, okay? I'm just saying that. That's a side note. But here's the deal. You may think of that. That's what you think of. And so it's kind of that's a, that's a struggle for you whenever we talk about this. A lot of times when we think about confession, it's not a positive thing. It's not a, a positive thing, but again, when he's talking about confessing to one another, he's talking about community here, and I'm going to hit on that more in a couple of weeks, okay, and what that looks like. But when we begin to, when we, we begin to really break down this word confession, here's what the word means, okay? In the original language, it's the word homologeo, okay? And, and so you've got homo, which means the same, legeo means to speak, all right, so literally what you're saying when you confess is you are speaking the same as. To speak the same as. You're, you are in agreement with what has been said about a particular matter. You're not arguing about it. You agree about it. Whenever you confess with God, you're, not, you're in agreement with God about what this particular issue is in your life. You're, you're coming clean with God. You're admitting that, that, that what you did particularly was maybe sinful or it was wrong or whatever. You are in agreement with God about whatever you did that was not in accordance with his ways for you, okay? Confession is not this, if you're taking notes. It's not informing God. He's God, right? He knows already. He knows everything you've done, everything you're going to do, everything you've done in the past. It's not like you're informing God, like, I just need to clue you in, God, on this, okay? No, he knows, and yet he still loves us, amen? He knows. It's not, it's not that. It's not informing. It's not complaining or bellyaching. You know, I'm going to just confess this to you, and I'm going to bellyache to you about this. It's not that. It's not blaming, well, you know, if that person wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have done this in response, that's not confession either. 
And that's what a lot of us can do as well. We can start blaming. We can start deflecting. We can start avoiding. I want to get really practical with you. Here's what confession is. Confession is simply this, coming clean. It's coming clean. It's getting real. It's taking the mask off. And I love studying the life of King David. Anybody else love studying him? I love studying his life. Do you know why I love studying his life? I love it because he wrote the Psalms with such authenticity. You get this raw feeling and emotion. He doesn't hide that. Don't you love that? I love that. It makes me feel better when I read the Psalms and David's talking about what he wants to do to his enemy, right? And I'm like, okay, he's a real guy, okay? He's, he's like wanting to take his enemy out, but then he transfers it into prayer, you know, and shows how we really should handle it. God, you're in control. I love the authenticity in his life. I love how real and raw and transparent he is. But when you look at his life, what you're going to find is that he was certainly very far from perfect. David was not perfect. He was a great man of the faith, but he was not perfect. When you look at his family, this is what I also like. You see that his family had issues. This is fun, something just real quick. It's funny. I may not say, share this in all the services, but this week, um, uh, my kids hadn't done their chores. Anyone else's kids maybe don't do their chores when they're supposed to? Okay. All right. Can we have a moment of community in that together? Okay. So they hadn't done their chores. I'm doing their chores and I'm kind of mad. And, and, and one of my kids, I won't say which one, um, hadn't taken the trash out to the curb for that day. So I'm taking the trash out um, while while he's in his car. I think I just revealed it, okay? <laughs> Trinity was driving to school. No, I'm kidding, all right? But, but, uh, but I went out, and I was like, you didn't do the trash either. You know, I'm carrying the trash out and, or whatever, and it was just funny. Luke, Luke knows that this, we talked about this later, and we actually said this was funny, okay? My neighbors who started coming to the church about six or eight weeks ago, praise God, they come to the third service, they started coming, and, uh, and, and they were on the front porch watching me go, yeah, uh, you didn't do this. <laughs> they were laughing. <laughs> and I said, it's true, we have issues as well. You know, and, and, and she said, not that this is good, but this makes me feel better, you know, and, uh, and, and I said, yeah, it does. Whenever we all kind of know, we're just people, right? We're just people, and, and you know, and we, we laughed about that. I later, I later told Luke, I said, you realize God used us to help them feel better. Praise the Lord for that, Okay. And, uh, and so, but I love this about David because you see that his family had issues. You see that he struggled. You see that he messed up. You see that he did things that we are so prone to do. And yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful whenever you know that, okay? And if you know his story, you know that you know that David had to come clean with God about a major mess up in his life. Even though he was described as a man after God's own heart, it seems though like it took David forever to get to a place of brokenness and coming clean with God about an area of hypocrisy that was in his life. You remember his story. David had great days, and those are the ones we like to really think about, right? David was the giant slayer. He was this incredible man of God, right? He, he defended Israel against the Philistines and all these. And we think about that. But David had some bad days. He had some bad days. 
And one of his worst days, you know, was, was a day where he made a series of terrible decisions as he was leading the nation of Israel as a king. Going from this shepherd boy to now he's a king over Israel. And stupid decision number one, I mean, it was a series of decisions. He didn't go off to war with the rest of his men like uh, all the kings did in this time. So David is hanging around the palace with far too much time on his hands and far too much testosterone in his system. He needed to be out with the rest of the men. And this is what he was doing. That was a series of stupid decisions. That's decision number one. Number two, he wandered off onto the roof of the palace. And you know the story. He's looking out over the city. He has too much time on his hands. He's probably admiring his kingdom. Maybe he's beginning to take a little pride in himself now. I mean, I don't know that, but I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking that that begins to happen for everybody. And this is going on. You see this, that, that, that it didn't, he's, he's just out on the roof and he, and he looks over. I mean, he's not seeking anything out. He looks over and there's an accidental glance that happens. And there's a beautiful woman who is taking a bath and he's up on the high points. He's looking down into places. He's able to see things that he shouldn't see. And the, the mistake, yes, it was a mistake to, not, to, to be in that place. He should have been off the war. But the mistake wasn't the accidental glance. The mistake was what turned into a lustful glance. He began to lust after this woman named Bathsheba. And then it turned into greed. And then it turned into all these things. I mean, if you see something like that and turn away, there's no sin in that. The sin was whenever he began to engage that and dwell upon it and began to ponder what he was going to do and the scheme that he was going to enact. And this is what happened to decision number three, right? Stupid decision number three. He realizes that he's in a place of power and position and he continued dwelling upon her and he, he, he sends his, his chauffeur, all right, to go to this woman's house, this married woman's house and bring her back to his palace where he had champagne, probably chilling, right? Probably had the strawberries, chocolate strawberries out and probably had a little Barry White going in the background, all right? That, that might be in there somewhere, it might not, okay? I, I, can't, I can't prove that. But seriously, we all know when with a broken heart, what happened next? David, a man after God's own heart, commits adultery. And as you know the story, she becomes this, this woman Bathsheba, which interesting enough, do you know what her name literally means? It means oath. It means promise. She'd already been promised to another man named Uriah. And, and by the way, she was a daughter of one of David's 30 mighty men who had made a promise to protect him. Wow, that's powerful. When you begin to kind of dig into some of the details of the story here, you know what happens. She becomes pregnant with David's child and she notifies him. And then one stupid decision leads to another stupid decision. And rather than coming clean with God, rather than coming clean with people around him, he begins to plot and scheme to cover up his sin, to keep up his king image. I'm a king. And if you were the king, that also meant that you had a, a level of holiness and righteousness about you. And he's keeping up his image to appear holy on the outside. But all along, he was filled with lust and deceit and greed. David was at this point in his life what we would call a hypocrite. 
Do you remember what we said hypocrisy is last week? We said that it is. It literally comes from this word about masks. It's a two-face. It's a play actor. You're playing one role. You're acting another. Nobody really knows the real you. That's all they see. Sorry for creeping you out. Um, but that's, that's, that's what it is. And David is, is, is struggling with this. And, and, you know, this is going on. This man after God's own heart was now very far away from the God that he once loved so much. And you know the story. You know the rest of the story that most of you know how it progresses. He tries to bring her husband in to, with the hopes that her husband would sleep with his wife. And maybe there would be a cover-up there, you know. And we know that his husband, the husband of, of Bathsheba, Uriah, is a man of integrity. And, 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 you know, David is frustrated. So you know how the story progresses, that the next thing that he begins to do is even more evil as he begins to plot Uriah's death and he murders he has Uriah murdered it's all part of his cover-up David takes Bathsheba as his wife and the cover-up of hypocrisy continues the baby is finally born which would suggest this okay now think about this with me it took somewhere close to a year for this to begin to really come out in David's life and it was because of, of, of a prophet of God that spoke truth into his life. For close to a year, you don't see contrition. You don't see brokenness. You don't see any evidence of David praying, you know, in the way that he would pray. You see a man who is trying to protect an image. This man after God's own heart is now so very far away from God. For months, he's wearing the mask of a righteous king. On the inside, his heart is anything far from righteous. He is cold. He is calloused. He is distant from the God that he once loved. You know, it's easy to go like, man, David. Anybody else struggle sometimes with that? Let me ask you a question. Do we have any sinners in the house? I love that God puts things like this in the Bible. I love that he's so transparent with us we do know this that a prophet of god comes to him named nathan comes to him and runs the risk of confrontation he confronts him you say why was it a risk david was a king and had already evidence that he would do whatever it took even murder to cover up his sin right this is a risk he's the king Nathan loves David enough to point sin out in David's life, not to be hateful, but to point it out because he realizes this, that he's destroying his life and destroying his kingdom, you know? And he calls it out in his life. Nathan loves David, but can I tell you what Nathan loved even more? He loved God and he loved the righteousness of God and he loved the justice of God and was willing to do whatever it took to speak truth and let the chips fall where they may. And so he comes to David and he lovingly points it out and he speaks this out. And what do we know? We know that David, he confesses finally. He confesses, he repents, he is broken, he is heartbroken. I want you to know there was confession, there was forgiveness, there was all of these. There were still very hard consequences though that followed David for the rest of his life. Because of these terrible decisions. 
There's so many thoughts about the story, but here are just a few. If you're taking some notes, all right, and this is one that we all need to get first. First is this, is that all of us are susceptible to sin and hypocrisy, right? Every one of us are susceptible to sin. Scripture says in Galatians, whenever you're restoring a brother that maybe is broken and fallen in sin, it says to, it says to do that with gentleness and, and, to, and to come alongside that individual. But you know what it also says? It also says right after that, you better be careful that you do not fall into the same temptation. All of us are susceptible to sin. Remember last week we said that's why Paul said, let those of you who think you stand take heed lest you fall. Because as soon as you start like acting that way and you're, 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 you know, in that particular way to where you're not going to mess up, you're going to mess up. You know, God, God's word clearly shows us that we're all messed up. And I love the transparency in the Bible. The Bible doesn't water it down. It doesn't like edit this part of the story out and only show you that he was the giant slayer. It shows you that he was a person. It shows you that he was a man after God's own heart that truly messed up, fouled up in a big way. God, God's word shows us that we're all prone to sin, even the heroes of the faith. Even guys like Moses, even guys like, you know, uh, Peter, these guys, we find that they're still, they still make big mistakes and still wear masks and still battle with hypocrisy, which, which here's what's beautiful about this, that the word of God is so forthright with us. Do you know what that means for us? That means this. The question I asked is then, why do I feel like I need to wear this? If the Bible's showing that we're all messed up, right? Why do I feel like I need to wear that? It's pointless, These stories in God's word have have been given to us with full transparency, full disclosure to show us that wearing a mask is pointless. You're wearing yourself out. You're wearing yourself out. God knows, God knows what's up in our lives. You can't wear the mask with him. He knows. And he's just going, I wish you'd just stop that and get real. Here's the other thing is that, is that not only does God know, but most likely people who are kind of around you, they see the facade. And you know what? Just as someone said last week, your mask is creeping us out, man. <laughs> Can I tell you something? All masks creep us out. Because there's something, there needs to be something, we know there's something real behind that and we're not getting to see it and we don't really know what it is. So... God knows what's up in our lives. Here's another thing that I find this, okay, in this story. Unresolved guilt produces a self-imposed prison. A self-imposed prison. It's incredibly interesting to me that David chose to live with this unconfessed sin in his life for close to a whole year. That it just, I mean, he chose to live with his hypocrisy. He p- chose to play like all was well. You know, he put on the, put on the king suit and went, did the king duties. When on the inside, he is rotting away. Absolutely rotting away. Listen to David's own words about what it's like to live under the weight of hidden or unconfessed sin. Remember what we said last week, hypocrisy in our lives, it is exhausting. It is enslaving. It is embarrassing. It is empty. It is extinguishing of anything that is light in my life, right? Whenever I'm exposed. Jesus talked about that 
Look at what David wrote about in Psalms 32, okay? Psalms 32, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what, what's the word? Joy. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Read the next part with me out loud. Wow. Whose lives are lived in complete what? Honesty. Those that get real. Those that get honest about their dishonesty. Now listen to what he talks about when he was covering rather than confessing. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Look at this. Finally, finally I confessed. You feel the emotion in this psalm? Finally I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Took it off. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to you, Lord. Look at this. And you forgave me. Oh, circle that word all. All my guilt is gone. Now now watch. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. He's saying, while there's time, you're wasting time wearing masks. Let them, let, let them come clean instead of wasting their time. Do you feel like you're drowning in guilt? Do you feel like you're drowning in shame? What's sad to me and what I probably along with so many of you can relate to is how long it took David to finally come clean. You know, how long? I can relate to that. How much wasted time, how much wasted, you know, stuff was happening in relationships around him where he, where he could have come clean, how he groaned. I mean, did you see the words that he talked about? I mean, he was weighed down by his guilt. Look at the words in that passage. He was miserable, no peace, groaning, drowning, wasting away. Those are very descriptive words, right? My strength was gone. No rest, just a huge dark cloud of guilt that is engulfing me. You think there was any joy and peace in his life at this point? Absolutely not. Relationships are being wrecked. His relationship with God is being wrecked. There was a shank of guilt, a shank of guilt stuck deep within his soul that was, that was planted in his soul in this prison that he created in his own life. Others couldn't see it, but it was definitely affecting him. This blade of guilt that was stuck into him. I read this story a few years ago about a Chinese man named Li Fuyan. He'd been suffering from severe headaches. They were progressively getting worse in his life as time went on after breaking down and finally going to the doctors to help him with all the pain that he was having. He was having these headaches that were getting worse and worse. Here is what they discovered implanted within his skull. A four-inch blade that was in his head. It, it, It was stuck in his head. The doctors were astonished and perplexed as to what had happened. And so Mr. Fuyan told them that four years ago, an, or, uh, earlier, a robber had broken into uh, his home. He struggled with him and was stabbed in the jaw while he wrestled with him and had lacerations on his face, but he thought that's all that it was. 
and, uh, and, and evidently didn't go to get any help for that. He had trouble breathing every now and then. He had no idea that a blade broke off in his jaw up in here, okay? He had trouble breathing every now and then, but didn't know that he actually had a knife stuck in his head. Crazy, right? He lived with this for four years. Four years. His choice of an action to deal with this problem prolonged his suffering. True story, okay? His wife was even commenting about how snappy he had been with her that the last four years he just had this incredibly sharp tongue, okay, and was saying all of these stabbing things to her, right? Okay, that wasn't in the story. I had to do that. I had to, okay? But he probably was pretty, you know, sharp-tongued at this point, right? Okay? After surgery, they extracted the blade, and he's fine now. Is that a crazy story? That's crazy. Crazy, it almost doesn't seem true, but it's not as unusual as you might think. In 2009, another Chinese man had to have a pair of scissors removed from his esophagus. In the same year, a Colorado man coughed up a nail that had been in his nasal passage for 30 years. Uh, 2004, doctors in France found 350 coins in a man's stomach. I guess he thought he was a slot machine or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. All right? Crazy. As I was reading this, something dawned on me, okay? There's no women mentioned in any of these stories. I was reading that this week, and I was like, come on, please be a woman. Please be a woman. No women. They're all men. Guys, we're stupid, aren't we? All the ladies said, amen. Best amen I've ever gotten. We hear these stories and we wonder, how in the world does this happen? How does it happen? Don't these people know we're not meant to live with things embedded within us like this? But don't we also know that we are not meant to live with unresolved guilt and shame that is embedded deeply within many of us. It's never dealt with. We avoid, we deny, we blame. We never come clean. The longer we procrastinate, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. You don't don't have a blade embedded in your skull, I'm guessing. Who knows what some of us men may have (laughs) struggles with. But what you may have is far worse. You know, just getting real, what would an x-ray of your interior reveal? What would an x-ray reveal of your soul, your conscience? What would, it, what would it look like if you got honest about some of the dishonesty and some of the dark corners in your life? And, you know, what would that look like? Maybe some poor decisions you made that you've never really addressed with God Maybe even when you're in high school, maybe, maybe in college, maybe things that, you know, you're not, you're not happy about them. Maybe you've even been carrying that shame for years, years and years, things that you've done that you haven't dealt with God. Maybe it's the shame of a failed marriage that you just haven't been able to, to deal with God about it. You don't want to talk to God about it. Maybe it's an addiction you're wrestling with now, you know, and part of the reason you can't, you can't break free from the addiction is you won't get real about your problem. 
And you're just, it's just, it's seething within you. It's festering within you. Maybe it's something you did as a parent and you blew it at some point and you messed up and you know you did. You know you missed opportunities and you feel guilty about that. You're carrying that and you constantly beat yourself up. And, and you know, there are those things that are buried within you that are unseen and yet they are festering beneath the surface. And every time you think about them, you feel so overwhelmed with guilt and shame. So for many of us, we live with this for years, this shank of guilt that is just plunged within us. And we never deal with it. I want to remind you the point of this series. You feel like you're drowning as you think about it, like David. The point of this series, remember, we said it last week. I want to echo it again this week. is not to make you feel bad and beat you up. I told you last week, I've got my issues. You know, I'm going to be real with you about my struggles. I've always been that way a core value in my life because I've seen the devastation of whenever that's not the case, okay? It's a core value in my life because it's a core value with God and with Jesus, you know? The point of this series isn't to beat yourself up. The point of this series, this is so powerful if you can catch this. This is, this is and I'm not joking about this, this is life-changing, This could change your life. This could change your relationships. It could change everything in your life if you will catch this next thought. Freedom and peace can be found through confession. Freedom and peace. Do you know that God desires because he loves you so much to extract that shank of guilt out of your life? He wants to extract it out of your life and give you freedom. As a perfect father, it must hurt whenever he sees us try almost everything else in the world to deal with our guilt and shame. Some of us will self-medicate rather than talk to God. Some of us will, will avoid whenever we, 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 you know, we need to deal with it. We, just, we won't even engage, and so we'll just, you know... Some of us will deny. Some of us will, I mean, there's these, th- these all, we, some of us will talk to others, but we won't talk to God about it. I mean, we just, it must hurt his heart because he's saying, come to me. I love you. I died for that sin. Come to me and confess. Speak the same as. I've been studying uh, about uh, some of the church fathers, the early church fathers, first century and second century Christians. They're called the church fathers. I've been studying and digging in more about what they wrote about living with an awareness of the presence of God. You've probably been hearing me say a lot about that. That's because I've been looking at it personally in my own life, and it's changing my life. Just being more aware of it, living with a presence knowing his presence is with me, being in dialogue with him throughout the day. We talked about it in the series in prayer. St. Ignatius developed something that's called the prayer of eximen. The prayer of eximen. It's interesting. I mean, it's biblical, and I'll show you. It's biblical. But the prayer of eximen, it looks like the word examine, doesn't it? It's the same root word of examine, but, uh, but the, 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 there's a little bit of a difference here. An eczeman was a needle on a scale that would reveal the true and accurate weight of something. 
The prayer of Eximen, the same Latin roots there, examen and Eximen, they're same, same Latin roots there, so there's a lot of similarity. But here's what it is, just very simply. It's an invitation to God to just scour our souls and to just stay in short communication with God. You're, it's not something you do like once a year. It's just daily. It's regular. God, would you look deep within me? Father, would you reveal to me as I first come into your presence, would you reveal to me the truth about myself? I'm taking my mask off, God. I'm getting real. I want to be authentic. I want to be transparent. Reveal to me any area of hypocrisy in my life I need to deal with and make right with you. God, would you just begin to restore the joy of my salvation again? David understood the prayer of Eximen. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's biblical. That's why Ignatius developed it in his own life. He just gave it another name. He said this whenever David's heart was still tender to the Lord. Look at what he said in Psalms 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Look at the next thing. This is the prayer of Eximen. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's, it's just saying, I don't want to pretend with you. Would you show me? Show me what's real. It's a prayer of invitation for God to search the depths of your soul. It's a risky prayer, isn't it? It's a bold prayer. You might not, you might not like what you see when he does actually confront you. But here's the thing. When you have a grasp of grace and you really get that, you don't want to do this without having a grasp of grace. Because if you do this without a grasp of grace, here's what happens. Here's, here's one result, self-condemnation. And then when we have self-condemnation, what we start doing at that point is we start feeling like you know, we beat ourselves up. We live in a cycle of shame. And, we, and we're, we're so filled with shame, we can never move past it. We beat ourselves up and to try to make ourselves right with God, here's what we'll do. We'll put the mask on and try to perform. Oh, brothers and sisters, look at me. Look at what all I'm doing in the church. Look at how I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? We try to perform. That's, that's an often root of, of shame and self-condemnation. Here's the other thing. You, don't, you have to be sure that you have an understanding of grace. Is, is another thing, if you don't, then you have self-justification. Self-justification is, is when we look at our actions and rather than taking full responsibility, we start making excuses and saying, well, if that person hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. Well, if Bathsheba would have been a little more careful when she was bathing and put that, you know, a curtain up over wherever it was, then I wouldn't have this. Well, if that driver hadn't cut me off and all the construction on 35, then I, you know, and then I wouldn't have told him he was number one, you know, and said, woe to you. You had to be here last week, okay, right? Had to be here last week, delivering a judgment of woe upon them. But here's the thing. These are common responses when you don't properly understand God's grace. But under God's grace and with guidance as you work through confession there's something powerful that happens there's restoration there's freedom there's healing it really begins to, to happen in your soul when you drop the mask it's a prayer like david's okay we're, we're going to sing in just a moment okay but it's a prayer like david's prayer right here listen to this one have mercy on me oh god this was after he had been confronted by Nathan. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, 
because of your great compassion. Do you see? He's having an understanding of God's grace. God's leading him through this. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, we know that he sinned against others, obviously. But he realizes he first must come clean with God. I have done what is evil in your sight. I don't see any excuses being made there. He's finally just saying, I did an evil thing. You will be proved right when you, in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. What's he doing? He is confessing. No more self-justification. God, you're right. I'm coming clean. I don't want to play games anymore. Goes on, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, now look at this, brothers and sisters. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Praise the Lord for His grace. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal, a steadfast, is the way that translates, spirit within me. Do not banish me from your, what does it say? Wow, there's that word again. Presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Would you say the last part with me? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David had the courage to finally come clean with God. What about you? What about me? What about us? He began to go back to the thoughts of what he knew about the character of God. He went back to the place of God's gift of grace, that, that, that the salvation he had was, it's a gift. You don't earn it. I don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Right? That's why it's amazing. You don't, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve the forgiveness. And then he began to, to, to reflect upon that that's what set him free. He's redeemed us. We've been accepted. You say, Bart, you have no idea what I've done. I, can, I can't ever get past this. If I told God, if I told others, I may never be able to get past this. You may, not have, you may not have listened to anything I've said today, but here's something I want you to hear very clearly. There is nothing that you have done in your life that our God cannot forgive. Amen. Please hear that. I'm not saying that the consequences in your life are not still going to be there because there are consequences that come with our sins. That's why God doesn't want us to sin because it hurts us. It hurts others. You know, not only does it keep us separate from Him, it hurts it affects. I read about a woman, and we're going to sing here in just a second. I read about a woman who was dying of AIDS that she had contracted through a promiscuous lifestyle. She asked a minister to come by and visit her, and she said to him, Pastor, I'm so lost. I've ruined my life. I've ruined the lives of people around me. I know I'm headed for hell. I know God could never forgive me. There's no hope. I'm a lost cause. That's what she told this pastor. And the minister looked at her for a moment, and he looked around her apartment, her dingy, dirty apartment, and he looked over on her dresser, and there was a beautiful woman 
that was in a framed picture, a portrait of a beautiful woman on her dresser. And he saw that and he said, who is that? And she said, well, you have pointed out the one thing in my life that is beautiful. She said, that is my daughter and I love her more than anything in the world. The minister asked her, would you help her if she, if she came to you with a problem? You know? And she, she said, of course I would. Would you help her no matter how many mistakes she made? Would you forgive her if she asked you for forgiveness? Do you love her no matter what? And she said, of course I do. Why would you ask me such a thing? The minister replied, because I want you to understand something, that God has your picture on his dresser. And he loves you. And he will forgive you. Grasping God's grace means masks can go away. When you get it, I don't have to be a fake. When I finally get it, that he loves me, that he accepts me, that, he, that he's here with me, when I finally get that, I can walk with him and gladly confess to him because I know he's not going to say, listen, I need to bring it, we're going to let you go, okay? You know, he doesn't do that with us. He forgives, but yet he also, listen, if you look at David's life, he forgave him, but you need to know something. David had things that followed him through the rest of his life of consequences that, that, that God let him go through. You know, you can live like that under his grace. I want to just encourage you just to bow your heads with me. King David is not the only one to have a season of stupidity, is he? Do we have any sinners in the house? <laughs> yes, we do. Maybe you've had one. Maybe you did what you shouldn't have done. Maybe you made a series of bad decisions that have been perpetuating and growing. You've been ashamed that you've been afraid to come clean with God and talk to him about it. What an incredible conversation you can have as you go before the God of great grace and humility and you say, you might just say, just right now, just begin, just, just confessing, just saying, God, I've never talked to you about this. That thing that I did, you talked to me. When I went on that business trip, when I thought nobody was watching, but I know this, you were, God, I'm so sorry. God, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? 1 John 1.8, listen to this as you just do business with God right now. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. By the way, this was written to Christians. We're fooling ourselves. We're living in dishonesty. Let's get honest about our dishonesty. But if we confess our sins to him, if we speak the same as he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Amen. If we stop living in deceit, we get real, we drop the mask, we confess. He, because of his grace and his faithfulness, will cleanse us. Not maybe, but because of his gracious character, he will. He's true to his promise. 
So many of us live life like we're under the assumption God is ticked off at us all the time. That he's just ticked off. That means that, you know, as a result of that, we don't want to talk to him. We avoid him. We stay distant. But God has proven over and over again, he just wants us to be honest. His plan is grace. His plan is not to condemn or harm you. His plan is to to bring salvation in your life. So it'd be silly to preach a whole message on confession and not provide you with the time to do business with God. Just humble yourself before him. He is gracious. Listen to these words about him. Long-suffering. Patient. Kind. Merciful. Are there things you need to confess to your loving Father today? What do we need to get honest about? Has your mouth been out of control? Are you harboring bitterness towards someone? Is there sexual immorality? Idolatry? Something you're putting before Him in your life? Maybe an addiction? Maybe a love of money? Greed? Pride with someone? Theft? God, would you please scrub our souls and set us free. Reveal to us any area of hypocrisy. There are men and women here so weighed down by guilt, Lord, they need to be free. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope you see how much He loves you. Word of God says, if you confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess. Lord Jesus, save me. Let's just continue in this spirit of prayer, of confession. Make this song maybe just even part of your confession.